0: sometimes life has just presented me with something that I hadn't really considered before and that I found suited me. And that was, and I'm, I'm grateful for those things when they happen. Um, and, And I'm just sort of, I don't know, the universe opens a door for me and I feel like I should walk through it. If a life change, if it's put right in front of you, if it's put right in front of you, then, then yeah, take it up.
1: Eden, and this is Keep the Mess, Messy Conversations with Messy People, where we have conversations about how we relate to our bodies and go down whatever rabbit holes we find. I started this podcast because I'm a bit obsessed with this topic. I struggle with embodiment myself and wanted to learn about how other people live in and out of their bodies. I figured if I'm interested in these things, chances are that there are others who are also interested. So welcome fellow obsessives. In this episode, I speak with my friend, Eric. Before I talk about this episode, I have a couple of things to say. One is that I want to again promote my friend Misha's podcast called The Models We Live By, which is about how our mental models of the world affect our choices and actions. I've listened to every episode and have both learned and had fun in the process. Misha is also the new co-executive director of Transmission Ministry Collective, an organization that supports transgender and gender-expansive Christians. I'm not sponsored by either the podcast or the organization, but I do support both of them. I also wanted to say that the next episode slot in two weeks will be Thanksgiving, and so I will not be releasing an episode then. But don't worry, there will be a new episode in the two weeks after. Alright, back to the episode. It was so lovely to talk to Eric. I've never had a one-on-one conversation with him before, and I'm so glad to know him better now. In this episode, Eric talks about exercise, aging, his complicated relationship with masculinity, as well as his strong belief in growth and change. Content warnings for talk about bullying. And lastly, I want to remind people that just because I have someone on this podcast doesn't mean I agree with them on all matters, or even many. These episodes are not about facts or saying things perfectly, they are people's stories, their experiences, their processing. Connecting and communicating with ourselves and each other is a messy affair so I asked for a listening ear and some grace. All right, here's my interview with Eric. All right, let's start this thing. So my first question, as you well know, because you actually listen to this podcast, uh, is how do you and I know each other?
0: Well, from church, I guess is the shortest answer. More specifically, my wife introduced us, I guess, um, Mm. at some point. Uh, This was, this was, Probably a couple of years ago now she explained you to me as part of what she called her church family. This was when we had just started dating mm. and uh so i met i met you i think at a you know at a, at a church that we both formerly used to attend, and I think it was even in a different building than it ended up in later yeah and so on
2: yeah
0: um and uh then later as i as I started going to church with her more regularly, i would I came over to your house. Um, you, you have. I've been a grateful recipient of your hospitality many times at uh, dinners after church mm-hmm. services. And even though we don't go to the same church anymore, uh, you know, I, I, I would still like to call you a friend. And, and I have enjoyed your hospitality even since.
1: No friendship just stopped as, yeah. soon, <laughs> as soon as we stopped going to church together. Forget it. Yep. Yeah, I'm remembering. I was like, well, yeah. When did like I don't remember the first time we met. I know. That you started coming, yeah, with your wife, and uh, you know I'd become friends with her through a friend that I met at that church as well, and so we had sort of had a few conversations, and I think the first time I remember actually interacting with you was when mutual friends were hosting, Mm -hmm. because my partner and I didn't start hosting dinner until later, and so I think it was at those friends' house. Yeah, probably. And I remember, like, I didn't hear you talk a whole lot, but I remember you just having these small little quips <laughs> that you would make. And and you reminded me of one of my uncles, who <laughs> is uh, quite tall, like you mm-hmm. are,
2: mm-hmm.
1: Um, similar haircut, and, and also, like, sort of teasing and, like, little small, like, mm. jokes. And so I was like, I, I think I have a good feeling about this person. And,
0: uh, well, I'm, I'm glad, I mean, getting it, you, you've probably had the experience where you're sort of on the, you're sort of introduced into an already existing social group, you know, an already mm. existing group of friends and you're, you are the new person. In this case, I was like the new boyfriend and, you know, <laughs> and later the new fiance, then later the new husband. So I've been,
2: yeah.
0: I've been reintroduced, I guess, to the social group a few, a few times. Um, and yeah, early on, I mean, I, you know. I have I'm just introverted enough. I, I I'm I'm not a super strong introvert, but I'm introverted enough that I try to take my time, mm. you know, uh getting into a group and I certainly don't want to suck more of the oxygen out of the room than I'm mm. entitled to. Uh but yeah, and so making a little quip from time to time sounds very me. That's yeah. that's often my way of like breaking the ice with people that I don't know well, is just humor. Um or what I think of as humor. <laughs> and that's that either breaks the ice or doesn't. I've, I learned something about other people's humor.
1: Yeah. And I, I mean, I think also I was just very, you know, in that group, like we all just really care about your wife and I, you know, have seen her be in a lot of pain before and, um, and difficult, difficult relationships. And so sort of like, who is this guy, oh. you know, is <laughs> is this guy going to treat her right? And so, yeah, it's just been really lovely to see such a positive relationship and, you know, your, your kindness, your gentleness. Yeah, I mean, also, you know, we'll probably get into this more later, but you're also, you know, you're not a Christian and yet you came to her church every Sunday, or at least most Sundays, that's and right. so it's a big move. Like that, majority of people aren't going to do that. Well,
0: I, maybe maybe the majority of people wouldn't. I mean, I I wanted to. Well, for one thing, uh, you know, you you mentioned the sort of the community sort of caring caring about her, and that's that's been very clear from right at the beginning, and she's referred to them referred to this group including you as her church family mm-hmm. um more than once uh and you know that's that's not a small thing that's important and not everybody finds that mm-hmm. even people even people who go to church very regularly you know they don't necessarily i think find find family there yeah uh, maybe it happens uh, i hope it happens more often than i see it um but uh yeah when we when we got together you know i i agreed that uh, you know that I would that I would go to church with her. Mm. Um, I grew up going to church; it's not completely alien to me the the process of doing it. And although I had not been choosing to do it in my adult life, I don't mm. have, I have a I don't have a problem with with church. Um, and so, uh, yeah, I, th- I I knew it was something that I could do in our relationship and wanted to do. And so, and and one one really nice side effect of it is that I've fallen in with an extraordinarily <laughs> caring group of people, and I'm grateful
1: for that. Mm. yeah because even as you were saying like oh yeah we know each other through church i was just thinking what a weird like (laughs) what a weird way for us to know each other
0: it's uh people in other parts of my life might hear me say that and be a little surprised i mean not that Mm -hmm. i was outspokenly anti church or anything but i have you know i have you know i haven't really until until recently i haven't gone to church in my adult life and Mm -hmm. so um to uh even though I, even though I sing with people, you know, we'll talk about singing later too. I'm sure yeah. well, I, I sing with people who are very devout. I sing with people who are very not devout,
2: mm.
0: um, and and then in other other friend groups have been completely secular, you know, yeah. and uh, the 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 topic of church doesn't even come up. Um, and so I think maybe some of them would be surprised to yeah to hear me say that. But uh, you know, um, life is something that changes, and so mm. this is a this is a change that I am. Well, I'm certainly embracing the life that I have now, but in terms of church specifically, it's something I'm I'm observing it. You know, I'm observing yeah. I'm observing myself in it. Yeah, and uh, I'm interested to see where it goes. Mm. But but uh, but yes, that's that is how we know each other. And yeah, it's been it's been a it's been an interesting time of change mm-hmm. just in that just in that short time.
1: Yeah, because uh, I was just thinking, uh, mul- multiple like important things happened to you. I'll get into that later, but like, and, and also we met during the pandemic, of course. Yes. I don't remember, had you started dating before the pandemic?
0: No, no. And in fact, my, you know, my line on the pandemic now is that I came out of it with a completely different life. Yeah. Um, Which is not a hundred percent true. There, there have been some, some through lines and some, some constant things, but you know, I'm, I'm married to someone that I was not in a relationship with when the pandemic began. Yeah. Uh, I live in a town that I had never been to before the pandemic began. Hmm. Uh, and and I go to a church that I didn't know existed before <laughs> the pandemic began. So those are, those are a few things that are different now. Um, yeah. Yeah. And so, and so yes. I, and so I have this, this whole new group of friends that I didn't know before the pandemic began. Um, I, yeah. I, I feel like the pandemic changed more sort of basic getting to know you features about mm-hmm. my life than it did for the lives of a lot of other people.
1: That yeah. may or may not be
2: true.
1: Yeah. I, you know, because I, I, in different ways, but like similar to you of, um, <laughs> my life changed quite a bit during the pandemic, of Did course, it? like, well, I, I came out as trans during the pandemic. Oh, That was something that I was just starting to think about more seriously, like right before the pandemic hit. I, I've said this in some other podcast episodes, but I had bought a binder. It had arrived. I bought a bunch of men's shirts the next day. And then like four days afterward is when the pandemic hit. Oh, boy. And so it was was at like this really important point. And like I was just starting to like make a community. And unlike a lot of other people, during the pandemic is when i made a really good community of people so i think you and i have come out of the pandemic with more people in our lives Mm -hmm. um as opposed to a lot of people who just completely lost community or community at least changed drastically and were quite alone especially people who were were single and lived alone which Mm -hmm. at the beginning of the pandemic you were
0: i was yeah yeah Yeah. And I don't I don't know when we mark the ending of the pandemic, but I had a similar experience to yours where, well, in this case, you know, yeah, uh, you know, had had not yet started dating uh my wife. And we knew each other but not well. Yeah. And uh we were at an event together, um, a singing event. Mm. And you know, we just chatted a little bit and, and I sort of filed in the back of my mind, you know, it's like, oh well I have I have this other event to go to next week, but when I get back it was out of state and when i when i get back you know i'm gonna i'm gonna ask her out you know <laughs> and uh i went to the event out of state i came back and like 2 days later we all went home we all closed in and yeah. i'm like oh well so much for that idea um hmm. and uh i just kind of filed it away with all the other things i couldn't do anymore you know and 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 lived singly and you know enclosed you know working from home and mm. you know not seeing it, only seeing people over zoom and the the, yeah. u- the usual stuff um yeah, until I don't know about six months later or something. Then I was like, "Oh, this is ridiculous!" and and I invited her on a walk in the park, mm-hmm. um, which is what you could do at that time. Yeah, you, outdoors, you know. And so our first few dates, they were a real walk in the park. Literally, yeah. literally, yeah. that's what we did. We walked in a park. So, um, so yeah, the pandemic. Uh, I've often asked myself, you know, I th- I think there's, I think people are going to spend a lot of years reflecting on how mm-hmm. the pandemic changed them and you know what you know what might have happened had it not had mm-hmm. it not come along i'm not saying anything would have been different in my case you know uh
1: you could have just started dating we, earlier we could have
0: started dating earlier you know maybe none of that would have changed but you know it, being being shut in alone or in whatever the size of your pod yeah. you know, whatever the size of your bubble is being shut in like that can't help but change you, and I, and I'm,
2: mm-hmm.
0: and you know, when you're when you're sort of struggling to get through it, you don't necessarily have that space to back off and say, okay, what's what's happening to me? What's different now? Mm. And I'm not sure I have that answer for myself. And I and yeah. I think that there's there's maybe maybe there's going to be like a whole generation or two of people who kind of have to mm. or don't have to, but may choose to reflect later on, like, oh, huh, how did how did that, you know,
2: did my mm. life
0: sort of take a before pandemic after pandemic kind of direction yeah. or or did i sort of emerge kind of the same as the way i went in and i think in my case you know it's it, you know there's definitely a before pandemic and after pandemic yeah that's assuming the pandemic is over let's just assume that for the sake of our own sanity that, mm-hmm. that the that the worst is over
1: i um, think the the initial response is over
0: that's that certainly seems to be true even if we need yeah. that kind of response again we probably won't do it as a as a society
1: yeah I mean I think I I am very curious what what would have life been like without the pandemic and of course you know there were a lot of deaths and a lot of mental health crises um, that have happened because of the lockdown and children not getting socialized and you know other groups also not getting socialized but yeah it's just it is this bizarre fascinating, Experience that we had where for a certain period of time, everyone was just locked down mm-hmm. in some sort of fashion, so yeah, yeah, you know, I hadn't even thought about the fact that you guys weren't dating <laughs> at the start of it. <laughs> we you know? weren't
0: interacting that regularly we were just we would just see each other occasionally at at group things, and uh yeah, it took um well, yeah, it took uh Took a few walks in the park to, to get yeah. to know each other directly. But here we are.
1: Mm. Well, yeah, now I'll get to my second question, which is, how would you introduce yourself? What do you think is important for other people to know about you? Yeah. What do you think is important to say?
0: Well, uh, I, I sort of thought about this question ahead of time and didn't really come to a good answer Uh because i realized i don't have like a standard way of introducing myself and i don't have like a list of things that i that i yeah. tell people about myself and uh but i think that relates to something that i wanted to say mm-hmm. that i thought would be germane for this conversation um anyway i'll i'll, I'll start though with with some easy stuff uh, my <laughs> name is eric um i'm 56 years old and i i work in i have spent my adult life working in various nonprofit environments mm. um i've been uh for the last 20 or some 20 or so years, I've been working in uh, the field of medical research. Uh, I'm not a researcher myself. I do IT for them. Um, Mm. But I've been around uh, medical research and specifically vaccine research.
1: Um, Which is kind of relevant.
0: Which which is kind of relevant. Yes. Um, Anyway, during that time, I've been working with vaccine researchers and clinical trialists and so on. So that's my my job. Mm -hmm. And uh, my main hobby is uh, sacred harp singing, also known as shape note singing which I think we mentioned
2: mm-hmm.
0: uh before, uh, which is a it's an old it's a it's a form of community singing, no auditions, no performances. Um it's uh, the the music is comes from a sort of a hymn tradition and so we have a we have a book called The Sacred Harp. We sing a cappella four part harmony out of just for mm-hmm. just for each other, no audiences. Um yeah. it's it's hymn it's hymns. Um it's it's Christian uh, from a Protestant Christian tradition uh is, is where the texts are from, although the the community um is not affiliated with any religion mm. and people from all walks of life, including secular people like myself, mm. are welcome. Uh, so that's that's kind of how I like to spend my spare time. Um and also a thing I thought might be important to mention for this conversation later, depending on where it goes, is that I I I'm sort of uh in terms of my own Person and my own kind of demographics. I'm I'm sort of unmarked in mm. a lot of ways that American culture marks or doesn't mark people. You know, I'm mm. I'm male, I'm straight, I'm white, I'm cisgender. I am a you know I am a fastball up the middle. I'm a vanilla ice cream cone. You know, <laughs> <laughs> you know I I uh, I am sort of the yeah I'm sort of like what's been like the unmarked mm. of the of the of the binaries right right um, yeah. you know male, not female, white, not non-white, you know, white, not BIPOC, and, and so on. Yeah. Um. So I I don't know if that will turn out to be relevant in our conversation mm. or not, but I feel like it kind of is because I think that um, uh, a lot of the reflections mm. that I've heard other people make on their own lives and their own experiences, mm. sometimes they're things that for cultural reasons, I haven't had much occasion to do. Mm. You know, I've been able to sort of take my – Take myself for granted in a way. Mm. I've, I've been able, in some ways, there are exceptions, but the, I've, been there, I've been able to be sort of unreflective about my identity when I mm. choose to. You know, it, yeah. it's it's almost a form of privilege in a way. You know, you you, mm. you you don't have to be in a space of forcefully defining yourself. You know, the, yeah. kind of the world gives you that yeah. when you're when you're all of the things that I am or all of the things that I am not. Mm. Um, so uh, anyway, that's something that I thought I would. Mention for yeah. context.
1: <laughs> I will say, like, as I was, you know, writing down notes and thinking, um, I, you know, I have interviewed uh, a couple of uh, like white cis straight man. And and, but I think that I was like, I think Eric is like the mo- like the, the straightest <laughs> cisist of like the... The the men that I've interviewed.
0: <laughs> well, okay, uh, so, somebody's got to be in that position. It might as yeah. well be me.
1: No, I mean I, it's not. It's not bad at all. Like it's wonderful and beautiful to be whoever you are. But I was just like, yeah, I think I think this is good for, for this podcast. Um, it,
0: maybe I bring a fresh perspective to some to some topics. Who knows?
1: Yeah, I you know, and Daniel was was um, someone who you know specifically talked about this quite a bit. Um, but I think there are ways that even though he is not queer or trans that he, I think he kind of swims in that world a bit more. Um, and I think that a question that I probably will ask a little later is, yeah, is about what some of these experiences have been for you over time, um, maybe experiences that you haven't thought about because it's just like this is what's expected. Yeah. So I'll 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 get in th- into that later. Um but I think that is a beautiful way of sort of noting like oh like this is something I've never I I hadn't really been thinking about until more recent conversations in the, you know, the media world have been going um, and with friends as well. But
0: yeah, I think as a as a, as a public topic you know race and gender certainly have existed in, as public topics as well as in many other aspects of life for yeah. you know since long before we were born but um yeah. i think the 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 public discourse now is different from what it was not too long ago and certainly if you if if i go back to you know my young adult years and my mm-hmm. and my teenage years and my childhood years you know what i remember of of these yeah. topics you know very different um, mm. very different today i think uh yeah and so yeah it's i've it's not that i've never had any cause to reflect on my own whiteness straightness or maleness right. but uh um but with the passage of time uh well i've gotten less defensive about them mm. for one thing mm. um you know there's room there's room for there's room for everyone mm.
1: Yeah, yeah, defensiveness. Defensiveness is something that I've thought about a lot in the last couple of years because um, it comes from a place of insecurity. Sure. And maybe I don't like the way that this word can be overused, but like fragility or like sort of. Um, yeah, and I think something that's been incredibly helpful for me is recognizing. Oh, I have insecurities, or this is a thing I feel insecure about. That's okay. I'm allowed to feel insecure and and move on. Yeah,
0: that, that's a tough place for a lot of people to get to, and I think you know some of the backlash against you know the the concept of white fragility, for example. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, I'm not I'm not very familiar with Robin DiAngelo's work. I've only you know seen yeah. you know, read articles about it and heard people talk. I went to a workplace presentation. She yeah. wasn't she wasn't there, but you know, but her her work was kind of a topic of discussion. So I have I have some familiarity, but what I mainly remember is when I first heard the term white fragility mm. and this would you know this would have been what just within the last 5 years mm. or maybe a little more
1: yeah. um,
0: when i first heard the term white fragility my first thought was well of course mm. you know it just seemed like well of, of course there of course white fragility is a concept of course mm. white people have that kind of insecurity about their position or mm. this kind of maybe buried or semi-buried knowledge of mm. you know like what put us in this position, and mm. how ultimately untenable it is, and you know mm. how much of that do I take personally, and how much of that do I mm. need to defend and and you know and then you, you multiply that by the <laughs> by the sheer number of white people that there are and and you know it can it mm. can really turn into a into a a fraught situation um uh, but yeah i've i was I was not a person who sort of resisted the term when I first heard it when I first heard it, it struck me as completely obvious. And I was more surprised to, well, maybe not surprised, but more, um, it took me a while to realize, oh, wait, people are going to react, you know, people are going to react negatively mm. or out of a place of defensiveness to this, which while understandable was not my first response.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I think, you know, when, when I was recognizing or, or you know, is something I obviously, am uh, not done with recognizing when I was first like, okay, like I feel insecurity about this. It wasn't about any sort of sense of, of privilege, you know, though I do have that as well. Um, but I've just I actually think it was relating to this podcast, I had done an interview that was had done something that I wasn't super proud of, or, you know, and afterwards, I was just obsessed with thinking about it and realizing over time, oh, I feel really insecure about my ability to do this. I, I'm i allowed to feel insecure about that. And, and also, I'm new at this and I haven't done this before and this is how we learn and that's okay. But not shaming myself for feeling insecure and defensive, which I think is the first thing that you do of like when people hear like, oh, you're being defensive. Then people are like, I'm not being defensive. <laughs> you know, you get defensive about it. Yeah. And cause you feel, you feel shamed in it. And like, if I am defensive, then I'm worthy of shame.
0: I hope this isn't self-flattery when I say this but I think we I think this is something we share we're realizing that the you know one step towards wisdom mm. is is understanding that you know you don't have to be mm. ashamed and you can be you can do something badly at the beginning you know and all all these yeah. all these things that like that I might have this is a bigger topic but all these things you know all, all those sort of like maybe shame-inducing mistakes that would have mm. just tensed me right up when I was younger yeah um they still might have that effect in yeah. the immediate second, but with greater perspective, I I I now say you know oh yes it's a, you know I, I don't need to be ashamed of that or I'm doing mm. you know I'm this is a this is a process or this you know this yeah. um, this unfolds in time and I don't need to let it define me or let it
2: hold mm. me back
0: um, and mm. it's I mean I, I think I just expressed it in a very cliched way but it's a it's a mm. it's a it's a form of wisdom.
1: Mm. Yeah, I mean it means that you know growth is possible if growth was not possible it would indeed be the end of the world like to to make mistakes and do things poorly because then it's like oh well then i never will do them well um but growth is possible
0: growth is possible and one of the things i'm grateful for now that i'm a little bit older which i think is a theme of Mm. Uh, a theme of mine lately (laughs) you know things i've learned now that i'm this old not only is growth possible but i enjoy watching myself do it i enjoy noticing
2: Mm. that
0: i've grown in some way you know that didn't Mm. used to happen even even when i was growing i didn't sort of Mm. step back and appreciate that yeah and now now i now i think i do more
1: Mm. yeah all right i got i've got some questions i'm gonna ask later but sure i uh i'll get to the sort of meat Of the conversation, which is, yeah, how do you relate to your body? Like, what, how have your experiences, how have your identities affected the way that you relate to your body?
0: Well, I was, I've, 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 I thought about that a little bit Mm. before the conversation, too, because I knew the question was coming. And again, I don't have an answer prepared, but, um, but the first thing I thought of was, I think my relationship to my body over my life has, more often than not been one of alienation. Hmm. Um there's a I love a I love a quote from um Sir Ken Robinson, who was a who he was a an educator, I think, and and I I I saw it on his TED talk. You know, he's easy he's easy to find. Um and he said he said a lot of educated people a lot of university educated people and I happen to be one mm. um, and someone who had originally thought of being a college professor uh it didn't work out but I think I mm. I think I uh sort of absorbed some of that quite a bit of that culture back in yeah. the day um a lot of people you know a lot of academics especially uh they think of their bodies as transport mechanisms for their heads you know they, they're just a way of getting their heads to yeah. meet- to meetings um and I think it's certainly true that up to a certain point. Well, I guess there, I guess there are two, two what, two things I want to say about sort of my my younger relation, the relationship of younger me with my body. One is that I kind of ignored it, mm. um, and it was a way of getting my head to class, you know, mm-hmm. or to whatever activity I was doing, and whatever activity I was doing was not usually a physical activity, mm. you know, with the, with the exception of marching band. I never did anything physical or athletic. Mm. Mm-hmm. Uh, As as a younger person, Um, and so, yeah, it was it was just sort of there. I was never, I wasn't often ashamed of it, maybe a little bit, and Mm. I can talk about that. But uh, but I was certainly never proud of it. It was Mm. you know it was just at best it was a neutral fact that I had this body Mm. that I'm in, and so, yeah, my relationship with it was just. Yeah. you mind your own business and I'll mind mm. my own business and we don't have to we don't have to speak to each other. Um mm. I think that was that was certainly and and that probably that probably was true most of the time probably until I was in my 40s. Um now at the same time, you know, my relationship with my body there were there was were, there, there was some, you know, I was I was a late bloomer, you know, mm. slow to develop. My voice changed when I was 15 um
1: what is i actually don't know what the, the normal range for that is
0: um well based on observations of my classmates younger than that uh, okay, okay. <laughs> um you, you know, junior high i think it starts for a lot of middle school i think it starts for a lot of people and then maybe early high school i was in 10th grade it seemed late yeah so, uh, i think i was behind i think i was behind a lot of the other boys um you know i i, I didn't have my growth spurt until you know i don't know Senior year or something like you you know, it. You made up for lost. It took me a while to catch up. Yeah, I'm. I, you know, I'm. I'm now. I'm satisfied with the height <laughs> I have and so on. Um But as a late bloomer, you know, I was. You know, and I and I was unathletic as a mm. kid. Or and or the narrative about me was that I was unathletic. And once you adopt mm. that, yeah, then you, don't, then you don't try to go out for the sports teams. You know, and yeah. and so on. Which was okay. You know, I don't. I don't regret not having. Mm-hmm. played sports but at the same time you know there was this sort of i think unnecessary narrative sort of put on top of that that like oh yeah. you know eric's not good at this stuff um but it was also true you know I, my memories of being a very young boy include like i i didn't really love to run around you know how you know how young young boys you know preschoolers mm. you know young young grade schoolers you know how the you know, the boys especially have this reputation of just they're just complete balls of energy you know they're calvin right they just they're just chaos agents who are just <laughs> running around all the time they're bouncing off the walls they're destroying everything you mm. know they're leaving a trail of you know a trail of chaos in their wake mm. um and and they're just and they just don't slow down and they, and you mm. uh, and and that was never me that was mm. never me i i was happy to slow down i was happy to sit with a book you know mm-hmm. not all the time but i was happy but but you know playing outdoors with my friends you know and you know running around and everything like it took a lot out of me, you know, it was like, Mm. I noticed, I noticed myself getting tired. I'm like, are we done with this yet? You know, we'd be playing ball or or just running around or riding bikes or whatever. I I loved all that stuff. Yeah. But it, you know, I got, I kind of got tired of it and, Mm. and I, and I never was any kind of daredevil. You know, I never threw my body around. You know, I never, I I never had this kind of like, Hey, watch this (laughs) or, or let's see what happens if, let's see what happens if I, if I try this, I was always a very cautious kid you know yeah. and i th- and so i think the idea that like um the idea of just throwing myself physically into something into mm-hmm. some activity or let, sort of leading with my body instead of my brain mm. was not something that i ever did it was never a feature of my personality in mm. in my memory it's, you know since since way 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 very very young was never part of me mm. and so Again, I think that, you know that's an example of my of my of my body and I of my body and me not having a very close communicative mm. relationship. Um, mm-hmm. So I think that's I think that's the start of my answer to that question. Um, mm. Is that and that and that that sort of non relationship as I think of it. You know, again, there there were some exceptions. You know, marching band being the one that yeah. that came to mind first. Um, And, you know, I, you know, like I, I loved to go swimming, for example, with my friends when I was Mm. a teenager. And so that was, you know, very physical thing. And that didn't really tire me. You know, I I was, Mm. I was all up for that. So there are some exceptions, but my, but my story by then was already set as someone who was not a very physical or agile or athletic person. And that lasted until I was probably until, yeah, I'd say until my early forties. Hmm.
1: Yeah. I just, I was noticing the words like alienation, and feeling different from other boys. Mm-hmm. And and I also just love the way that you say this was the narrative that I lived in. And and I I feel like that's such a thing because I similar to you, you know, I I grew up in a very my my family's like a very book loving family and not big into to sports or anything like that. And so, like, I think just the narrative of all of us kids was that we are not athletic. You know, we don't do the sports. We don't know anything about sports. Um, I mean, I think my dad actually tried to make me a fairly well-rounded person, so I, I did learn several things, which I remember asking him, like, you didn't even, like, do <laughs> really do these things. And, uh, and he's like, yeah, I just wanted you to be, like, well-rounded, which I respect, but, like, overall the narrative was – you know our family we we are we are cerebral we are not physical and yet now i think you know i go to boxing and i go to the gym and like i walk regularly and eventually i'll start biking again like there are things that i do like i'm not completely unathletic but there is this narrative that i did grow up with like that's just what we told ourselves and I still hold that sort of narrative of like, you know, when people talk about sports of like, I don't know what that is, you know. And that which I think is a different thing maybe to be um big into sports versus being athletic.
0: Very much so. I I was big into sports and and mm. still am. I there there's still sports I enjoy watching and I I got into very watching uh, you know baseball and football yeah. uh, on TV, you know, and I was a big NFL fan, you know, from yeah. from from a young age. And and so yeah, watching sports is something that I've uh, you know, sort of off and on in adulthood but but lately i've watch- yeah. I, i've started watching them more um just in the last few years uh, mm. than i used to um and but yes the uh, cerebral and not cerebral and not physical i think describes my family fairly well also mm. uh and and yeah you know i had acti- you know i i was you know i played YMCA soccer and basketball and, you know, it, you know I tried all those things. Um, I just wasn't very good at them. I, I didn't hate them. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, just despite my smallness and cerebralness, yes. <laughs> cerebrality, <laughs> I don't know what you call it. Uh, despite, my, despite my small size at the time and being sort of cerebral and not mm-hmm. very coordinated and all that. Um, and, you know, being picked near last on the teams on the playground, mm-hmm. it, it never, I wasn't really bullied. Mm. I've I escaped that somehow. Hmm. I'm not sure how. Uh I mean, you know, there there'd be an incident from time to time, but this sense of like, you know, mm. everybody ganging up on the yeah. powerless kid. Uh that didn't really happen or or having somebody single me out yeah. as a target for abuse. Um that never happened to me. Mm. Uh with with one strange exception in high school where someone would, uh, mm. who thought he was anonymous, he thought he was fast enough at it. He would sneak up behind me in the hallways and just kind of dust the back of my neck with his finger, you know, give, give me like a little burn mm. back of my neck and I'd turn around and he'd be gone. Yeah. But he wasn't always fast enough, so I figured out who he was. Mm. And last year he died. But I didn't do it. It wasn't me. <laughs> um
1: <laughs> Tell us how you really feel.
0: I have. Well, it was. It was surprising when I when I heard that he died. My my first thought was, oh, I remember him.
1: Mm. You know, that had a deep effect.
0: It it, it did. It didn't go. Yeah. You know, so yeah. Even though I say I wasn't bullied and it didn't. It didn't. It wasn't really a, mm. a big thing in my life. It was something. It was also something I never forgot. And That uh, this
1: person would just regularly do this thing to you?
0: I didn't even know him in any other way. Like we never interacted in any other way. We never spoke to each other. Mm. Nothing. Um, he was a year ahead of me. He graduated. I never saw him again. Yeah. Never heard about him. But of course, you know, nowadays social media mm. is the class reunion you never knew you wanted. And so um, so you hear about everybody.
1: Yeah.
0: And yeah. So, you know, he died young, uh, just in his mid-50s, I guess. I think of that as young, <clears throat> and yeah. So, it got, and I don't know. It was, it was, yeah. It 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 hit me a little harder than I expected it to. Yeah. It was. It was just like, oh yeah. You, you I mean, it's it's easy. It's easy to think any old thing if you don't really know a person yeah. at all. And I'm like, oh yeah. Well, you got yours, huh?
1: Yeah, because I, <laughs> I hear this like sort of like not quite vengeance, but like
0: just just the, this.
1: Sense of satisfaction,
0: a little bit, a little bit that yeah. the, that the the universe took care of what I couldn't take care of. Mm. That was surprising to me.
1: That you felt it that strongly.
0: Yes, that I felt anything at all mm. surprised me. Yeah, but it, but I
2: did.
1: Yeah, you know, I've definitely thought about. You know, of course, there are things that I'm like, oh, like I I really wish that I'd grown up uh, in the body. That I would have rather grown up in or mm. in, you know, um, as a, an obvious boy, but there are things that I am not sad that I missed. And, you know, cause my, my, my dad and my brother both experienced bullying. Mm. I actually don't know to what extent, but I know that they both did, um, both smaller unathletic nerds and, You know, and I also know that that my brother would talk about a couple other things that, you know, happened to him in college that I'm like, what? Like, who does that? You know, and I I won't go into them. But, like, I I know that I also would have experienced those things because I would have been like the men in my family. I am like the men in my family. I mean, even if I was born a boy, I'd still be rather short and scrawny and you know like and I certainly would have been uh, bullied and been perceived as I don't know if the words gay were ever used for my family members but I think that was in the air of like you're smaller you're into theater you're a nerd like yeah so there are things that I don't regret (laughs) like you know i'm not sad that i didn't experience those things um but yeah i know actually before we started talking i was thinking about this and now especially with what you're bringing up i wanted to ask yeah what has your experience been over time like with the idea of being a boy being a man masculinity yeah
0: well i think uh I think I had a i mean even even though I have never questioned my gender mm-hmm. or my sexual orientation, I mm. have always felt completely comfortable in in
2: mm.
0: what I perceive as the hand I was dealt <laughs> um even though I've never questioned that I think I've always had a sort of uh ambiguous relationship with masculinity mm. um not, not in the sense of, not really in the sense of my body, I mm. don't think, but in the sense, masculinity is the cultural construct that it is, mm. you know, and I, uh, grew up in an area of the country where, you know, out- outside of a small town, mm. uh, hardly exclusive to being outside of small towns, but that's where I happened to be as a, as a child, mm. um, where you know, some of the tokens of what we sometimes today call toxic masculinity Mm. uh were present both both visibly you know the i you know i mean just Mm. think of the stereotypes you know the big the big pickup trucks and the Mm. and the Mm -hmm. and the metal shirts and the mullets and the trucker hats and all the you know all all that which was just not my my thing or my family's thing yeah Uh, so and and then also some of the some of this you know uh kind of some hair trigger defensiveness, you know, mm. willingness to fight. I was not a fighter. Yeah. You know that um the, the things that are thought of as sort of sort of almost public almost harmless in a way, toxic masculine. You know toxic masculinity maybe isn't quite the right term mm. for it. I'm 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 not currently talking about, you know, things like domestic abuse or the things that really right. are toxic masculinity. I'm talking more about sort of outward tokens and presentation. Mm. Um and Toxic masculinity is a useful term that I was grateful to learn because I was able to retire the private mental term that I had always used for it, which was bullshit machismo.
1: I, um, I like that. A lot.
0: <laughs> well, feel free to spread it around. I was kind of, I was kind of proud of it, but I just bullshit kind of, machismo. Yes, just kind of kept it to myself. Um, but well, I think you know my 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 greatest male role model, as is the case with many people, mm. uh, was my father, um, who. Uh, was not American he was an immigrant from Europe hmm. and he brought a different kind of mas- you know because he was from a different culture right uh he brought a different kind of masculinity with him hmm. and he had different ideas of what masculinity was, and some of them of course overlapped um but some did but just but just you know but just presentation and you know ways of interacting with people hmm. you know he, um i don't know he just seemed a little more polite. Mm. to the world around him (laughs) than, uh, than a lot of the other men and especially boys that, that I knew, Mm. you know, and, um, and he, you know, he, he, he taught me to value many of the cultural things that in the world I lived in sort of marked you as a as a bit of a snob, you know, I learned to appreciate, you know, European classical music and
2: and mm.
0: languages and and uh, and books and and you know various other things mm-hmm. that were not maybe were not maybe the center of the lives of the boys and men around me. Mm. Uh, conversely, you know, uh, and this was unusual for where I was living. I didn't, you know, I didn't learn to hunt. I didn't learn to fish. I didn't, you know, mm. didn't do any didn't do any of those sort of things that it seemed you know fathers always taught their sons you know they taught them how mm. to f- taught them how to hunt, taught them how to fish taught them how to hit a curveball mm. you know my dad couldn't do any of those things mm. <laughs> didn't do any of those things wasn't interested in them yeah and uh i inherited that disinterest mm. um and so i think that kind of set me apart from you know it set my life apart a little mm. bit from the lives of the of the boys around me
2: yeah
0: and their dads um and possibly is part of the reason I've wondered this. I don't know if it's true, but it might be part of the reason why I wasn't bullied very much
2: hmm. growing
0: up, because <laughs> nobody could figure out what
2: hmm. what
0: was going on with me. Like I was, I was just sort of like I wasn't familiar. I, you know, I wasn't just your sort of you. Know, oh, he's just like me, but weaker. Hmm. It wasn't like that. It was more like there's just something different going on with him. You know, hmm. and and um, yeah, I, I think so. I was I was unusual. I f- I feel. I felt unusual, I felt different. I felt that the the expected milestones of American boyhood weren't necessarily mm. showing up on my doorstep. Mm. And so that served to I don't I don't want to overuse the word alienate, but it served to mm. distance me from some of some of what is considered masculine masculinity mm. in in some broad sense. I just didn't I just didn't get it passed to me in the same mm. way
1: yeah I just have noticed like the way that you talk about other boys and masculinity of sort of destruction and um, <laughs> and
0: physical activity you know physical
1: you know. activity destruction uh, bullying bullshit machismo like uh-huh. all this stuff then yeah. I I'm sort of curious. Yeah, I guess I just find that curious. You, you seem to have thoughts.
0: Well, uh, yeah, I think I do have thoughts. Um, <laughs> and yeah, I, uh, I don't want to only focus on the negative aspects mm-hmm. of that form of of what I see as that form of masculinity. I mean, again, yeah. think you know, think of think of uh, being taught to hunt, being taught to fish, being taught to build a fire. You know, yeah. t- being taken out backpacking, being you know, up, just all those sorts of things. You know, or you know, becoming. Good with your hands, becoming good at fixing things, uh, yeah. you know, working with wood, working with electricity, working with cars, working with you yeah. know, fixing your own bike. You know, that's a whole nother set of things that I didn't really mm. acquire. You know, now you know, in my father's defense, I could have sought them out on my own, mm. but uh, but at the same time, not his interest, not and kind of therefore, yeah, <laughs> not my interest, and so yeah, I, I think there's a lot to. There's a lot to – it It felt like and still feels like there is a lot to masculinity or perhaps American masculinity or Mm. reduce it down to whatever categories you want. But to a certain – there was a lot to a certain form of masculinity that I feel like a lot – that most boys and men around me acquired Mm. and I somehow managed to avoid. Mm. Um, Sometimes I wanted to avoid it. Sometimes I regretted missing out Mm. on it. And again, it's not all just from my father being from another place. It was also, you know, tracking in high school. You know, some you know Mm. some kids are on the college prep course. Others learn to fix cars. Well, I always wanted to go to college, and it was expected, and I did it, and I'm glad I did it. Mm. But why can't I fix a car? You know, Mm. or why do those have to be two separate classes? Why does there have to be
1: a binary there?
0: Why does there have to be a hierarchy there? And is and are and is the hierarchy arranged in an optimal way for flourishing mm. in the world, not necessarily. Mm. So, um, so yeah, there's a lot to this when I when I sort of think of this large concept of masculinity yeah. and how I've grown up in it, um, it's not all negative, it's not all aggression. Yeah. Um, it just felt like aggression <laughs> a lot of the time when yeah. I was when I was younger. And again, it didn't it didn't feel like bullying. It didn't feel like I specifically was the target. It was just this undercurrent of aggression everywhere. Mm. Um and I continued to feel it until until I moved to the Pacific Northwest. Yeah. At the age of twenty-nine. So, you know, I'd had a lot of life under my belt already. You know, I was twenty-nine when I got here. And I don't know how much of this is real, but and how much of it was just me being a little older and you know, mm. you know but but uh I would say that the form of I I, th- I think there are even regional variations in Mm. what's perceived as masculinity and it's different here and i think i fit in better here Mm. than i ever did there in Mm. in in this in this sense at least in the sense of you know what is expected or what is what is considered masculine Mm -hmm. um yeah i think i'm i think i'm better suited to the culture here than i was yeah where i came from
1: yeah you know i obviously i have like uh a lot of curiosity about masculinity and like, what does that mean as I sort of navigate this world? Well, of course. Um, and I've talked to some people who are really uh, feel a lot of shame about what like masculinity or like being a man or like those are things that, that are toxic or like that I don't like about myself or some, some men who are like, well, I, I thought that I had to be more feminine in order to be good um and and sort of struggling with like what what does this mean and, and trying to find ways of of finding refinding masculinity and it sounds like for you you just didn't fit in that form of masculinity but you were working on finding a different form you know with your father and then also like going to the pacific northwest
0: yes uh I think that's probably true. I think that I think that uh, coming to the Pacific Northwest, for example, that worked for me. You know, I, I, I st- you know I'm mm. still here. Uh, yeah. A number of years later, it you know I stayed. Uh, I felt comfortable here, even though I wasn't explicitly looking for somewhere yeah. where you know masculine like masculinity was not what I had hmm. uppermost in my mind when I decided to move here. But I noticed that difference yeah. almost right away, mm. and I felt good about it. Yeah. And so there, yeah, there must have been some. Even though I had not quite articulated it to myself, there was probably some need for my own, whatever of my own version of masculinity I had cultivated up until that time, there was a need for it to to be acceptable, accepted, acceptable. Well, yes.
1: What is it that you noticed that was different here that you felt that you fit into better?
0: You don't have to swagger as much here as a man, just even the, even the way you walk,
1: mm.
0: like you don't have to, you don't have to be, you don't have to embiggen yourself.
1: Embiggen yourself. You don't have
0: to, you don't have to sort of, you know, I don't have very broad shoulders. I'm not very muscular. I'm not, you know, mm. uh, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm not, I mean, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm tall enough. I'm six feet tall, but I'm not, I'm not big, you know, mm. um, you don't need, I felt that, this may have been a function like right down to the neighborhood I was living in. I don't know, but uh, yeah. I felt that, like you didn't need to be intimidating. Hmm. That was, that was, that's what, that's what I felt here. I felt that the, like I didn't need to put on any more intimidating persona hmm. than I just naturally had.
1: You didn't like, need to, to perform masculinity. I didn't, I didn't need way. to perform
0: a form of, I didn't need to perform a kind of masculinity that I didn't feel at home in myself.
1: Mm.
0: and where I had lived before, even though that wasn't often uppermost in my mind, it must've been there a little bit because Mm. when I got here, I noticed that it's like, Mm. I can walk the way that I walk. you know, I just, um, I mean, your listeners haven't seen me walk probably. Mm. Um, but you know, I, I, you know, I, I occasionally got made fun, you know, like the way I walked seemed too feminine to some people. Mm. Um, and, you know they're just the yeah the posture of my body and the way my arms swing and so i was i mean kind of dumb stuff really but but real in a way you know like the um, the way you hold your body and the way you move your body in the world has a seems to have a cultural
2: mm.
0: um signifying quality to it mm. and it's different here than it is in other parts of the country and it probably and i don't know how many parts of the country, i don't know how many divisions right. there are you know how many like what parts of the country should i go live in next to find yeah. out what the what the experience is like there. Um, but yeah, I I was able to shed a little just a little bit of self-consciousness where I mm. didn't have to be as aware of that. I didn't have to be mm. as careful to make sure I was walking as in as manly a way as possible, or that you know my facial expression was one thing instead mm. of another thing. You know, I moved to this neighborhood in this place in the Pacific Northwest and suddenly felt like I could just be, you know, be my, be myself, um, more than I had been before. I wasn't expecting it. It, It's not why I Mm -hmm. moved here, but it was just like this pleasant revelation. It's Mm. like, Oh, I, I, I feel, I feel better here. And the only time that I had really felt that way before that, Mm. uh, was a year I spent living in, in a European city. Mm. And so, you know, I think, okay, I learned a lot of my mannerisms from my dad, who was European, you know, I probably just inherited them consciously. And then I went and went to a European city and people, you know, people just like, until they heard me talk, you know, I wasn't in an English speaking environment. So until they heard me talk, they didn't know I was a foreigner necessarily. Right. You know, I, I, you know, I sometimes felt more foreign, you know,
2: Mm.
0: on a street back home than I did on a street in, in Paris, you know, Mm. which surprised me. And so, yeah, that was the, that was the only, which, which is why I've sort of come to think that maybe there was something about the way masculinity was expected to be performed in the region where I grew up—that mm. is different. It's different in other places because it felt different in Paris, and then it also felt different here.
1: Yeah, it, it's interesting. So I, you know, I grew up in Russia and Ukraine, and Russia and Ukraine are not known for places that are. Uh, that there is quite a bit of machismo uh, that happens. I've heard. yeah. However, I will say that there are just different ideas about. Specifically, I'm thinking about how sitting and, you know, the way that men in America, like there's this, it's not the way that actually happens everywhere, but like there's this idea, um, women cross their legs how to... in a narrow sort of over way. The, over the knee. Over the knee. Instead in
0: a... of the ankle on the knee, it's the knee on the knee. Yeah. Yeah. yeah.
1: And and men like to have the sort of broader mm-hmm. sort of way of doing it. Yeah. Now, actually, when I interact with, with men and women, there's you know there's quite a variety of how people actually do this or maybe that's just because i'm in the pacific northwest who knows but but in russia and ukraine everyone just crosses their knee the way that like in in the narrow sense Mm -hmm. and part of this is because the idea of like showing your foot to someone in a lot of cultures is not viewed as like what you (laughs) what you're gonna do Um, but also like the way that jeans and how tight jeans were and the way that people care about how they look men included looks more like what maybe certain americans would call feminine Mm -hmm. right and it's not feminine in this culture it's just the way everybody is so it's just curious to me the way that different cultures perform these yeah gender expression right
0: I, I didn't feel comfortable crossing my legs at the knee until I was in my twenties.
1: Mm.
0: You know, mm. uh, certainly out of high school, where everybody, you know, all the you know, it'd have to be ankle over knee. And yeah, but now it now it bugs me when people do, like I don't want somebody showing me the bottom of their foot either. I get <laughs> it. You know, it may it may not be a big deal in American culture, but now I notice it. Mm. Now I notice it. But yeah, I, I hear what you're saying that that yeah, the, the, these sort of specificities of gender expression. Mm-hmm. Really vary from culture to culture, although yeah. the 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 sort of result of them might be kind of the same. Like if you're not, you know, if you're a mm-hmm. if you're a Russian or Ukrainian young man, and you're not wearing the right kind of right. jeans, you know, you might get looked at sidewise, right? Yeah. Um, or you know, and then think think back think to pictures you've seen of like you know men in the 18th century when they were when they were, you know aristocratic men in the 18th century when they were the peacocks when they were the ones with the big wigs <laughs> and, the, and the the very bright colors yeah you know and the, the you know they're they're all, they're they're sort of if they can afford to show their plumage, mm-hmm. they will, and yeah you know, we don't you know we don't do it that way you know um high you know, men wore high heels before women did in the mm. west uh and and various other you know sort of things that were male fashion that are now considered marked more feminine mm. yeah so it's 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 contingent in a way it's you know it's variable like what what the actual Signifier is doesn't seem to matter, mm. you know. Like a like a big pickup truck seems kind of like macho and masculine in some right in, in culture, you know. But it it doesn't have to be that, you know. If the if the if the manliest men decided that Cooper Minis were the macho thing, then that's the way it would. That's what it would be. Yeah. A, you know there's nothing inherent to like the f-150 versus the cooper mini that that makes one of them masculine and one of them not
1: well yeah because i mean there's also the idea of sports cars which can be very small mm-hmm. um are also in some circles viewed as very masculine cars so it's like it's it's not always about size it's you <laughs> no,
0: know no <laughs> <laughs> sometimes it's how you drive
1: sometimes it's how you drive oh yeah this is it's really really interesting and Uh, I noticed that earlier you said that the way that you perceived your own sort of athletic nature changed when you turned 40 or in your Mm -hmm. 40s.
0: I can date it almost with precision. Um, Hmm. So uh, when I was, so I got, I got this, Book. Uh, there There's a small short list of self help books that have like actually hmm. helped me, hmm. um, and hmm. kind of changed my life. And one of them, I don't remember the author's name. There are two authors. Um, the, the name of the self help book is Younger Next Year, hmm. um, which as I was turning forty was something I start, was starting to think about. You know, aging and hmm. it was called Younger Next Year. And uh, and I remember reading. I took it with me on a trip where I was I spent a, a long weekend in a yurt in British Columbia. Hmm. And that's the that's the book I took with me to read. And I read <laughs> younger next year. And it was uh it was it was the weekend of my 41st birthday. I was turning mm-hmm. 41. And that book um talked about, you know, it was really like, okay, you're a guy and it was it was definitely aimed at it was explicitly aimed at men. Mm-hmm. Uh and it's like, okay, you you're an old you know, you're an older guy now and like here's how to you know like, like here's how to be an older guy you know mm. um and i mean it's advice it's advice was pretty basic very very good advice i thought there were th- uh, three pieces of advice um and i'll 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 save the the one that got me for last mm. but the one of the pieces of advice was you know quit eating quit eating crap you know eat, <laughs> eat better eat eat more green vegetables and you know yeah. less carbs that sort of thing um one was have relationships you know mm. don't don't be a lone wolf you know have relationships mm. in your life you know be with people, um, and the one this was actually the first bit of advice uh, was strenuous exercise six days a week for the rest of your life,
2: hmm.
0: and that just like hit me hmm. really hard. Partly because I had not, you know, I, I, you know, I, I mean, you know, I've I've always take I've always walked, I've always been a walker. I'm, you know, I've done some hiking. You know, it's not like I, yeah. it's not like I'd never exercised, you know, before. But yeah, but I hadn't sort of done it as a thing that I focused on. And um, for some reason, that just the way it was phrased, and then mm-hmm. the, you know uh, the the chapters went on to explain it. You know they sort of alternated between the sort of uh, one of the authors was a was a doctor and medical researcher mm-hmm. who had sort of figured out you know like here's what happens to your body when you exercise. You know this these things you right. know, like these cells die off and then they sort of come back stronger. in the way the muscle here's how the here's how the building of muscle works. I don't remember the specifics, but it was all sort of like here's yeah. what actually happens in your body if you're exercising regularly. Um, and then it, it alternated with chapters by uh, the other author who was, uh, I think professionally he was a lawyer, but he was kind of the rah-rah guy, which is like, yeah. and he 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 was the one who sort of employed the rhetoric that was designed to appeal to men specifically, you know, mm. it's like this, you know, this regular exercise thing, you know, don't think of it as like optional, you know, it's your job. And I remember him saying, "Be a guy, be a guy, do your job. Hmm. And I'll, I'll, you know, in the back of my mind, I'm like, don't women do their jobs too? But, but the, but that, but that rhetoric of like, yeah. this is, you know, part of being a guy, part of being a man is like stepping up to your responsibilities and doing your job, and that's, you know, a relatively healthy thing to encourage people to do.
1: I mean, um, and, and it's it's aimed towards men, so th- that's who they're talking so to. So right? I was, I was, yeah, I just,
0: it just hit me at a time that I was ready to receive that yeah. message, and I I came home from that trip. And I joined a gym, for I think the first time. Mm. And um, you actually went to the gym six days a week.
1: Six days a week.
0: Um, and I got of all the of all the um of all the different things at a a gym that you can do, the one I got into the one the activity I enjoyed the most is the one that that actually sort of usually codes feminine Mm. um, spin class, which is biking. It's it's stationary 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 bike, and there's there's like there's like like uh you know sort of music pump like you know pumping yeah. music playing and they and the, there's an instructor at the front of the room also on a bike like telling you telling yeah. you what to do okay now you know now turn the resistance up higher yeah. now pedal faster now stand up now sit down you know this sort of thing and you yeah. go through a 40 to 50 minute workout and you yeah. are you are i mean it, it's 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 a good it's a good workout
1: I uh, I have been on one of those bikes like not for all that long. And it was hard.
0: Yeah. The first time I did it, I was, I was doing it and I'm like, I am going to die. This is it. I am going to die. This is right now. Um, but I didn't, I got through it and I stuck with it and I did it. Um, And I, and I just came to love it. Mm. And I was just doing it as often as I could. And, the, and then the instructor was like, look, you got to also do other things. You know, you, you don't want to injure yourself spinning. So you got to yeah. like, do some resistance training on your legs and your upper body and strengthen yeah. your core and all this. So I, so I, So I varied it, but I was, you know, at the time I was going to the gym for for like five or six days a week Mm -hmm. for, and this went on for, you know, a few years. Mm. Um, And I got into the, you know, I was in the, I'd say I was in the best physical condition of my life when I was about 43. Mm. And yeah, cause I was just going and I would go and I would do this uh, first thing in the morning. Because that because yep. that motivation wasn't an issue, right? I'd have the clothes laid out from the night before. Yep, exactly. The alarm would go off. I'd slide down the bat pole into my gym clothes, you know, and <laughs> and I'd and I'd walk out the door towards the gym. The gym was like maybe a ten minute walk away, and I'd walk up towards the gym. And By the time I was awake enough to realize what I had done to yes. myself, there was no turning back. I was already heading up the stairs to the yep. to the gym in the in the building, and so uh, and I would and I would do it. So I I did it whether I was you know. In the mood for it or not, I didn't even even question that, and so that's how I got over the like of like I'm too unathletic for this. Yeah, I I set it up. I sort of structured it in a way that I would just do it, you know. And I was just, and it's like just show up, and even if you do it badly, you're here. Yes, Uh, and there's there's a whole theme about doing it badly that I want to talk about later Mm. if if we have time, but um, but anyway, so I, I did that spin class for you know a number of years. And I had various instructors, but the maybe kind of the watershed moment, like I, I did it and I was enjoying it, and I'm like, oh, I see why people do this. I see why people mm-hmm. exercise. I, I, I feel better, you know, all, yeah. all the stuff, all the yeah. benefits that exercise is said to have. Well, it it really has yep. those benefits, and and so, and I was doing it like regularly enough that I, like, I was getting kind of good at it. You know, I don't know that, but it's. I mean, it's completely non-competitive. It's just class, you know, and nobody's even checking. Like, are you really turning the resistance up on your bike? Right. Like nobody's looking. I mean, I, about I, you. I right. was being honest about it, but they're like, yeah, they they do like, okay, now turn it up to where it feels like you're at seventy percent, and like that's subjective. Like, right. what's seventy yeah. percent of what I can do? I don't I don't know, but I I would get to where it felt that way, and then you know, yeah. a couple of weeks later, you know, seventy yeah. percent maybe was a little higher than it had been before. So I was I was kind of getting better at it, and uh, and I had this instructor who just it was just really good. Um, probably the best one that I had. And he would, uh, you know, he, he would do his thing and he'd have us doing these various things. And he was one of the, he he, he really led by example because he would ride his bike uphill mm. to the gym in the morning to teach the spin class. So he was already, you know, he'd already gotten up at four and like ridden, you know, yeah, uh, up, up all these hills and everything. And so he was really, and he was a, prof- you know, he was practically a professional. He'd do like the long distance mm. rides and stuff. Very seriously into it. And, one day he had us kind of going through the usual routine and he had been with us for about six months at that point and he was leaving soon. And he said something, he was sort of giving us a pep talk towards the end of one of the classes. And he said something, he's like, you guys may not think of yourself this way, but you're athletes. Mm. And I mean, I'm even getting emotional thinking about it now. This was yeah. maybe this was maybe 15 years ago, 13 years ago, something like that. Mm. Um, And, uh, yeah, I practically started to cry mm. uh on at, on the bike right that moment mm. because like no one had ever like mm. I had just assumed like it hadn't even been a verbal thing, like assumed gives it too much credit for being known to me. You know, I had like it had never been conceivable that anyone would call me that, you know. And uh and I don't call myself that and I don't I don't feel like I need to be called that. But boy
2: Mm-hmm.
1: that
0: was uh that was an unexpected turn for my life to take, and it still affects me now, yeah you know? yeah, what that one little thing that one little thing that that person who barely knew me watched what I did and called me an athlete, yikes, wow,
1: yeah, yeah, I mean, I could tell on your face I'm like, oh like this is yeah this is a big deal for you
0: it was mm-hmm. yeah so so since then I mean. I was, you know, when, 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 when he called me that I was, you know, I was maybe 43. I I started when I was 41. I'm 56 now. There's been some ups and downs over the years. I have not exercised six days a week, you know, that entire time, but I still, you know, I still go to to the gym every morning when I can, you know, um, and it's still, it's something that I hope to keep with some form of, I want to keep some form of exercise with me as long as I live, even if it's taking a walk around the neighborhood as it may be, you know, you know a, f- a few decades hence it may just be oh can i still walk around the block yeah. i don't you know who knows yeah. what who knows what my body will or will not be able to do in my later years um but exercise became a conscious explicit thing for me and so my bo- and so my relationship with my body changed because mm-hmm. i started to pay attention to it i started to notice when I felt better and when I didn't feel when, when I felt good and when I felt less good was no longer just a mental thing. Mm-hmm. You know, I had something else that I could connect it to and anchor it to. And I had ways of affecting how my body felt mm. that I hadn't had or I hadn't seen yeah. that I had before.
1: Mm. Yeah. I just, so I'm still on the moment of you having this emotional response. Um, I think it's amazing just the things that people say; they have no idea are so meaningful to us. And this was so meaningful for
0: you. It was. It was a kind of. It was a. It was an answer to a "what am I?" question Mm. that would never have occurred to me Mm. before. You know, I I might be this and I might be that, but an athlete. Mm. You know, yeah. It just. It just sort of. It was so it so yanked me out of my own expectations about myself mm. and i don't and and i i i guess that phenomenon causes an emotional response who knew <laughs>
1: mm. yeah because it was it was something that you just never put yourself in that category
0: yeah it it wasn't as though like it it wasn't it wasn't oh i feel seen
2: mm.
0: because i hadn't I mean, maybe it, it might be related to that, to that feeling mm. of feeling seen, but I hadn't wanted to feel seen in that way. Like it, it just, or I hadn't mm. known that I had, you mm. know, it just never occurred, it never occurred to me. It's like, oh, if only the athlete in me had some way of getting out
1: mm. and
0: expressing himself. Well, oh, no, I never, I never thought that at all. Um, but, th- but there it was, somebody saw me that way. Mm. And, uh, and I guess I still haven't really, like, I don't know that I necessarily took that any further into, you know, incorporating it into my identity or anything like that. Mm -hmm. But, but, uh, you know, the story about myself isn't very different (laughs) than it might've been Mm -hmm. otherwise, but, but, um, yeah, it really, uh, it opened something up.
1: Yeah. Well, I'm noticing like, you know, so much of what we've done is, is talking about like these intellectual ideas, which I, I, you know, I love. Um, but here we've come upon a moment where you're not quite sure how to describe like what was going on in that moment. And it still affects you. And just this feeling that is there, that is powerful. Mm -hmm. And I think think those are important moments to note, as you are noting now of, you know, I I haven't perfectly processed this thing. I, I don't have the exact words to say it, but obviously it has this sort of palpable response. Hmm. So, yeah, I was thinking about this earlier, but, you know, as we're talking about, as we're talking about, you know, all this, this exercise and, you know, feeling, you said, I think it was like 43, you were like in the best shape of your life and all this. Since I've known you, you have had two medical problems that have occurred. Uh, one was that you had a heart attack. That's right. And another one was that you injured one of your legs. I broke my foot. You broke your foot.
0: Yes. And the, um, yeah, those are, since I turned 50, mm. I have had four events. Mm. Um, those were the two most recent. Yeah. Uh, The first one, I broke my shoulder in a bike accident mm. when I was 51. And then I uh, had my gallbladder out after some severe pain and mm. you know uh yeah it was it was a it was a pretty appalling gallbladder as it turned out when they took it out. the The mm. doctor compared it to a sack of quarters <laughs> so it was ready to go um and then i had a heart attack and then uh i broke my foot this was like once a, this was like one thing a year, uh, for four years. And this was after I, you know, I spent most of my forties being like, okay, I kind of got it together for the first time in my life physically. I'm more, you know, I'm I'm more, you know, I'm trusting my body more and and that sort of thing. And then, and then all those things happened. Um, so my fifties have been, uh, a little humbling, Mm. um, from a physical standpoint.
1: Yeah. I mean, just each of those things on their own, like have their own (laughs) stuff going on, but I, for sure yeah could you talk more about like how going through those has been for you sure
0: um i think uh well the heart attack is probably the most meaningful one in a way partly you know people die of heart attacks they don't necessarily die of broken bones although i mean the bike accident i mean you know could have been worse it could have could have hit my head or something and yeah you know people die people die in all kinds of ways um But a heart attack meant something because because my father had a heart attack in his 50s and Mm. his father did too. Mm. And so I always kind of wondered, hey, maybe, you know, I wonder if this is my destiny too and what can I do to avoid it? And maybe all the frantic exercise Mm. in my 40s would help me to postpone
2: Mm.
0: or avoid entirely that experience. Um, it was not, and that's not why I started exercising. That was Mm. not, I don't exercise, at least I don't think that I exercise out of a fear of death or out of Mm. a fear of ailment, but I did sort of think, Hey, maybe I, maybe I've cheated genetics a little bit here Mm. because I felt healthy, but no, I had not cheated genetics. And, uh, I may have, um, I may have been able, I may have been a little more successful in cheating genetics or at least postponing the inevitable had Mm. the pandemic not happened my gym was closed mm. i was in, you know and yeah. and like many you know like probably a lot of people i was you know consoling my loneliness with you know food and drink <laughs> you know and so i wasn't so my lifestyle got a lot less healthy really right. fast and uh it was about we were we were well over a year into the pandemic when mm-hmm. when my heart attack happened so it revised um i mean all of those all of those different things the, the two broken bones at different times and the gallbladder out um and the and the heart attack yet they mm. revised a little bit my maybe maybe my perception of myself um mm. and and my relationship with my body and certainly, uh, after the heart attack, that's that's what forced me to make the most lifestyle changes, which was, you know, getting back into exercise as soon as I could, right. you know, once I'd, once I'd recovered to a certain point and was able to, was able to exercise again, I certainly, um, and I, and the, the gyms were open again by then. And, yeah. and of course, and of course, you know, you can always take walks. Uh, but, uh, I had to, I had to change my diet pretty, uh, mm. radically, um, and cut out certain things and, you know, I won't bore you with the details of a heart healthy diet, but I can say
2: mm.
0: that uh, if you need a heart healthy diet, you could do a lot worse than marrying a vegetable farmer, which is what I did. Hmm. Um, so yes, uh, we eat well, and mm. we and we eat mindfully. Yeah, and we're we're careful about you know we both have we both have our dietary restrictions. Yeah, and we're careful to observe them. And you know, I'm allowed to indulge from time to time you know the uh, the the, nu- uh, the nutritionist's phrase was small quantities and rarely right so if i come over to your house for some evening when you're yeah. throwing a dinner and you're serving so- you know sausages and sauerkraut right. for example well sausage isn't really on the approved list <laughs> but i can have some right and so i'm 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 still kind of like working on what the right you know like yeah. i catch myself overdoing it a little and i really start feeling it more yeah. What, like uh, not in my I mean I just I just clutched my chest um when I said that but I I don't really feel it in that sense but I just like oh this I guess I'm more self-conscious I'm more conscious of of the effect that what I eat mm. has on me you know like like many Americans the majority maybe you know I grew up eating just whatever was put mm. in front of me or you know and 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 loving you know you know wanting to go to McDonald's and you know wanting to you know just sort of mm. like un unthinkingly just sort of yeah. eating you know uh you know, I loved pasta and I loved you know meat and potatoes and just mm-hmm. you know basic things uh in my I did spend twenty years as a vegetarian um not many people know that, not many people I know now know this about me, but from the age of twenty four to forty four huh. I was a vegetarian, and uh part of the reason I had become a vegetarian in the first place was i I was in grad school and i um part of it was to save a little money
2: mm-hmm. so
0: that i wouldn't go out and just grab fast food or other takeout mm. you know that I would I would be more forced to prepare yeah. something for myself and I didn't really know how to cook and I wanted to learn and that was kind of an excuse to do hmm. that and I wanted to be I wanted to just be a little more mindful of what I was eating mm. um I chose vegetarianism specifically because I was dating a vegetarian at the time and we were cooking uh. together and I'm I'm like well I'll just make a virtue out of necessity you know I was already eating vegetarian four days four nights a week anyway and so I want to make it seven. So but my vegetarianism long outlasted that relationship mm. um and I stuck with it for uh 20 years and <laughs> about 19 and a half years in I started craving salmon. I started craving mm. seafood. Mm. which I had you know like I moved to the northwest as a vegetarian.
2: Mm.
0: So and I came from an area where seafood wasn't very popular and so like I literally had never tasted salmon. Wow. In my life. And so, um, but I started thinking, boy, I bet that's good. Everybody seems to love it. And then I, I was planning a trip to Japan Mm. and I'm like, you know, I don't want to have to go to a place where I don't even speak the language and have to explain to everybody that I'm vegetarian. And would it even be easy to get vegetarian food? Turns out no. Um, it wasn't easy for me anyway. I, I mean, I didn't need it. I wasn't a vegetarian anymore, but i would look for it and I'd be like, oh, there's nothing there's nothing on this menu that I would have been right. able to eat. So yeah, so a, a few months before I made that trip, I, you know, I hit I hit the 20 year mark. Yeah. I, I, I stuck it out to the twenty year mark because I knew I would be telling this story for the rest of my life and I wanted it to be a nice <laughs> round number. And uh and my first non vegetarian meal in twenty years was salmon sashimi mm. at a at a sushi place not far from here. Wow. Um and uh so I I just went raw. And um, yeah. And so, so anyway, and so I, then I, so I was back to eating like whatever I wanted and then then came the pandemic and I was eating whatever I wanted in much larger quantities Mm. and then came the heart attack and then came the dietary reform. And now I'm, yeah now I, now I, now I eat more lean proteins and lots of vegetables.
1: I was just thinking we had salmon together uh, a few weeks ago when I was at your house. Yeah. So I hope you liked it. I did.
0: I'm I'm learning to prepare seafood. Yeah, no, I... Baby steps.
1: I also didn't have a lot of fish until I was older because, yeah, fish just wasn't great where I lived most of the time. But I did grow up, like, whenever I did have fish, it tended to be salmon. Hmm. Um, And I think that usually was in America. But, yeah, just sidetrack. I I did grow up with really good caviar. Oh, (laughs) wow. So I... I lived in a place on the Caspian Sea, and caviar was something that just people had, and it was amazing. And I'm I miss it a lot. <laughs> um, yeah,
0: you know, during my I, I've one one story of my vegetarian era, I guess that might be germane to what we were talking about, which is that uh, when I was in my 20s and, a, and a, had been a vegetarian for about a year, I went with a, with a friend of mine to a sports bar mm. for to uh, to watch the Super Bowl. So we were there in this very crowded, very noisy, boisterous sports bar on Super Bowl Sunday, yeah, and I'm looking at the menu, you yeah know, looking past all the burgers and the you know stuff like that and and I'm like what am I gonna get and they had a uh probably for the for the vegetarians, I suppose they had adapted their chicken parm sandwich to an eggplant parmesan sandwich, mm. so I ordered that and I got the so it was it was like this breaded egg I don't remember if it was any good, but it was this breaded yeah. eggplant parmesan sandwich. So, so I'm sitting there with my friend and we're eating dinner and we're watching the game. And the couple at the table next to us, mm. one of them taps me on the shoulder. So she says, oh, my husband wanted to know what you're eating because it looks good. And I said, and I said to her, you know, oh, it's, it's eggplant Parmesan. And then she like turns, I sort of, it's, it's a noisy place, yeah. right? And I sort of see, you know, she turns and kind of, I can see her repeating this to him. <laughs> and he flips, he goes, Eggplant, but like you could hear him over the eggplant parmesan. What the hell kind of food is eggplant parmesan? <laughs> like I practice, you know, like t- talk talk about a talk about a moment of not being secure in your masculinity. Like he was, he was about, he was. I swear, he was like ready to bash me for my choice of sandwich. Um, that was one of those moments when I'm like, why, why, why am I doing this? You know, not why am I being a vegetarian, but like why do I live here?
2: Uh,
0: um. It was- or or it was just like. I should have known somebody would be like this. It was it was it was a mm. it was a strange experience. He, he he calmed down, got himself a burger and everybody was fine and yeah. you know. Uh we all watched the game together. But uh it was it was just his his knee jerk reaction. Yeah. Was so I don't want to call it defensive exactly. I don't want to read too much into it.
1: But it was so strong.
0: It was so strong and it was so it it dovetailed so nicely with all those experiences that I had already taught myself to identify as
1: hmm.
0: bullshit machismo.
1: Hmm. Yeah. I'm just noticing <laughs> like you're talking about, you know, when you went to exercise, you chose a spin class, which you noticed realized was like more, a lot of women took that. Mm-hmm. And like vegetarianism is something that is often associated with women. And yes. yeah, I just find that interesting.
0: Um, yeah, I, I, I have no explanation for that, um, except that yeah, I, I chose what I liked.
1: Yeah. Well, and I, I notice you're also like very, you're very precise about things and also very, like when you do things, you do it. Like this is the thing you're like, and then I became a vegetarian and then I became a vegetarian for 20 years, you oh. know, <laughs> um, and, and then I started exercising six days a week after reading this book. Like you, mm-hmm. you run with the things that you're going to do.
0: I I guess that's true. I mean, there, there've been enough false starts, you know, I'm not, I'm not telling the stories of the things that I started and right. didn't, didn't keep up with. Yeah. Um, but sometimes life has just presented me with something that I hadn't really considered before yeah. and that I found suited me. Mm. And that was, and I'm, I'm grateful for those things when they happen. Um, yeah. and, and I'm just sort of, I don't know, the universe opens a door for me and I feel like I should walk through it, mm. you know? So that's, yeah, that's happened a few times. And, uh, Uh, I've been grateful for it every time.
1: Mm.
0: The opportunities, I think of them as opportunities.
1: Yeah. Yeah, and they're very sort of principled of like, I want this changed in my life.
0: Yeah, singing was another big Mm. example of that. Uh, And yeah, there have been a couple of others.
1: And I mean, with your wife also being like, I'm in a relationship with this person. This thing is really important to this person. I'm going to now go to church with this person, despite the fact Mm. that this is not, my thing. Mm -hmm. Um, it, you know, you certainly have gained like a community out of it and it's been beautiful, but like that was not initially your thing.
0: Yeah. I've, I've gained, I've gained a lot from it and I continue to, and, um, and I'm learning a lot. You're right. It wasn't my thing. Uh, that, that was a case of, I mean, partly it was, yes, I, you know, I love her and I want to do, you know, this is important to her and I'll do it and I'll do it with her. That was, that was the main thing. Um, but also it was a, I've, I think I've learned that if, a you know, if that door is open if, if 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 a life change mm. if it's put right in front of you if it's put right in front of you mm. then then yeah take it up i mean mm. uh who knows wh- which of these things i'll still be doing you know mm-hmm. in 20 years you know um but you know like vegetarianism was something that kind of had its beginning and end for me yeah um the other, the things i'm doing now i don't see ending them. I mean, certainly I'm going to go to church with my wife as long as, as, long as I can. Mm. But yes, I think I've been willing to embrace a change, a mm. new thing when I want to. And I haven't thought about why that is, mm. except that I think maybe some of what I've described as alienation or feeling different, you know, mm. when I was younger, I think that might have that might have oriented me towards like a different idea of difference, like like mm. difference is okay.
2: Mm. You
0: know, or change or change is okay. Or like I don't need to grasp so tightly mm. onto like this this little definition of mm. what I am or what I do. Mm. You know, that can that that can and does change. And yeah, most most changes I've had have been good ones. Welcome ones.
2: Mm.
1: Well, I'm thinking about the book, the title of the book that you read in your, what is it, yurt?
0: In my yurt, yes. (laughs) In your yurt,
1: Uh, Younger Tomorrow? Younger Next Year. Younger Next Year. And that it usually becomes, it just becomes more and more difficult for us to change and grow as we get older. That's usually the case. Mm -hmm. And it seems that you have very specifically focused on no, like I want to keep changing. I want to keep growing in these ways.
0: Yes, I think that's true. I think that, uh yeah, I probably am. I'm. I'm reluctant to stop where I am. Mm. You know, I, uh, one of the one of the nicest things a friend has ever said to me was uh, a friend wrote wrote this to me in a letter when we were in our twenties. I think we're still friends today. And he said, and I don't know how true this is, but he said most people are happy to stop with experience after they've had a certain amount. Mm. You are not most people like that's the nicest thing I've heard in a long time. Mm. Uh, And yes, I mean, I hope I, I hope I, I mean, learning has been something I've always wanted to do and Mm. I'm starting to, you know, I'm 56. I'm not ready to retire yet. You know, give it another decade or so. I mean, the sooner the better maybe, (laughs) but uh, Mm. you know, I'd do it tomorrow if I could afford it. But um, I'm not ready to retire yet. But I'm already starting to think ahead of ahead to like mm. things I can do. And I, I don't mean I don't mean things like travel. I th- I think of myself as like you know being one of those you know, like old guys shuffling around the university <laughs> library. You know, like pulling books <laughs> off the shelf and studying. You know, um, I mean, who knows what the, f- the form it will actually take? But yeah. I expect to be doing something different mm. and something new mm. when I'm. When I'm old, I don't. I don't want it to be just a reduction. I mean, there are, you know, mm. people. You know, people's people's lives. I think sometimes may get a little smaller, maybe a little physically smaller, depending on what their bodies can do mm. uh, as as they as they age. But uh, yeah, I would like to. I would like to keep finding new things. I would like to, new doors to continue. to, I would be grateful if new doors continue to open.
2: Let's put it that
1: way. Mm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, you you've mentioned sacred harp a couple of times and that this was one of those new things that you did that you've kept with. Yeah, could you talk about that, what that experience has been like for you?
0: Sure. Yeah, well, I, I discovered the Sacred Harp when I was, oh, in my early 30s, I guess. I first heard it on a recording. Mm. Um, I heard the harmonies. Uh, again, this is a four-part acapella kind of thing, and I I, I had bought this CD of Christmas music like choir early American Christmas music sung by a mm. professional choir and uh I was in my living room and I was doing something, and I just had the c d on playing, mm. and I was just sort of but I was paying attention to something else, yeah, and uh I heard these harmonies and i I have this memory of like whipping around and like looking directly at the stereo, like, what is that and I was just like so drawn in by the mm. by the sort of open open fifths i suppose you know these 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 sort of unusual harmonies that i didn't mm-hmm. normally hear from choirs and it felt very powerful it felt very strong mm-hmm. and so i started listening and and from there i started uh you know finding more examples
2: mm-hmm.
0: um, and uh of different choirs doing doing this music i did not yet know that there was a community of singers that, that, you know, that that I could sing it myself. I didn't Mm. know that people, Mm -hmm. I didn't know that people just did it. Yeah. Like amateurs. I I thought it was just yet another form of historical music making that a, that a trained choir would do. Um, but I went to see a professional trained quartet called Anonymous Four,
2: Mm.
0: um, doing American shape note music as -hmm. well as some other American style hymns in this beautiful performance. And, uh, on the merch table next to the CDs was a little flyer
2: mm.
0: that said, uh, next weekend, Sacred Heart Convention, which is like six hours of singing a day for two days. Sacred Harp Convention, you know, such and such address, no experience required. Mm. I'm like, Well, that's me all over. And I like this music, I'll try singing it. So I mm-hmm. so I showed up. That was uh two thousand four. Mm. And uh I sat down in the third row of basses and mm. uh never left um i'm still <laughs> I'm still doing it today.
1: it's almost been twenty years it's
0: almost been twenty years and uh yes, and it was um I found a community there mm. um i learned to I learned to sing you know I had not been really you know i I'd, I'd you know played instruments growing up, but i'd never i'd always wanted to sing harmony, and I never mm. could now now i can and i you know I learned it and i did it and i I think what I can say about it that I think relates to this conversation. Two things, one is so i was when i when I started singing it myself, I was thirty six years old mm. um, so yeah, it's been almost twenty years, and one thing I noticed about it was that it was i mean it's sing, singing is a physical activity, you know it, it was mm. it was it was something that did maybe you know reconcile me with my body a little mm. more than I had been before, you know I, um you know there there is you know it, it it's it's work, it's work. It's mm. physical work. I mean, you're, you're, you're sitting down, but the kind of singing we do is done, you know, community singing is done without a lot of careful attention to dynamics. So it's usually just loud. You're singing loud. You're singing accented. You're yeah. accenting. You're singing loudly. You're singing with energy. Mm. Um, you are singing in a way that relates you to the other people around you who are singing. Mm. If you are a devout person, you might be, if you're a devout person who connects with the texts that again mm-hmm. are from a protestant christian tradition then you might be singing for god or as a form of worship or that you know right. that, that that may be a very meaningful thing to you and the texts come to be meaningful
2: mm. i can
0: tell you even to the even to the more secular people who sing mm. i think it's something that you know some people avoid singing sacred heart because they don't like the mm. the religious themes of the of the texts and that's fine but but those of us who come to it for other reasons, like the harmonies, and mm. you know, that, um, find ourselves being sort of pulled in by the lyrics anyway. But it, it you, you, you beat time. You beat time with your arm, mm. often, or you can. Um, you, you take turns getting up in the middle of a square. You know, the the four parts, uh, treble, alto, tenor, and bass are all facing inward to mm-hmm. form a hollow square. And the leader of each song, we just take turns leading songs. The leader gets up in the middle,
2: mm-hmm. and
0: everybody is singing at you, and so you, you know, you get that, you get that full. Throated harmony, like mm. right in your ear. It's a very visceral and bodily experience. And if you do it for five or six hours in a day, mm. these are these are the conventions and all-day singings. Yeah. There there are also smaller weekly or monthly singings that are like two hours at, yeah. at a, in a smaller group. But the but the sort of big event, you know, that yeah. happens in many many cities and towns is 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 a one or two day singing with a big potluck supper in the middle. And, uh, you know, a few hours of singing before and a few hours of singing after, and maybe some singing at a social event in the evening, Mm. you know, and you just kind of go on and on. And it's, it can be exhausting, right? And you, you know, just to sing Mm. that long, to sing that many hours of a day, it's, it takes some endurance and you are kind of wiped out. Mm. When it's over and it's, it's like having exercised, you know, you are, you are sort of a little sweaty and you're, and you're, and you're tired and you've got, but it's that kind of good tired, you Mm. know? So you get that, it's a physical experience. I mean, I think, I think that we don't often think of music, Mm. experiencing music as a physical experience. Mm. And maybe when, maybe when you're listening to music, it's maybe a little less of a physical experience, although I would argue non-zero, but when you're singing, when you're performing, when you're doing it, it is a physical experience. And so that, you know, I I had not started on my exercise thing yet, but it was kind of, Mm. but, but related because the other, the other aspect of it that I think is important to mention is that it's community singing and all voices are welcome, which means that if you're bad at it, if you can't really sing on key, if you have trouble reading music, all those kinds of things, it's okay. Mm. You are welcome to come and do what you can do. Mm. And if you're and and we joke that like, you know, since, since it's loud singing, you know, yeah. if, well, if you're if you're, you know, if you can't really sing on key, it's okay. We'll sit next to you and drown you out. <laughs> um, but uh, but you can you 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 come in at your own level. Right you know you're you're able to do this or you're not able to do that, and you that's your level, and you might you know you probably if you stick with it you'll get better at, at it, but yeah, some people never really get the hang of sight singing or of
2: yeah
0: singing on key. some people never really quite get it I mean almost nobody is truly tone deaf, but some people just you know mm-hmm. it's sort of like i don't know if you learn a new language in adulthood, you'll always speak with an accent yeah right so so there there's you know you sort of hit your hit your limit in a way. Um,
1: yeah. It, this was something that I only learned a few years ago that with singing, that the majority of people, if they sing regularly, will get better at it. Um, mm-hmm. I did. I think I used to think that like.
0: Either you could, I'm, I'm a person who can sing. I'm a person, a person who, who can cannot sing. Who cannot
1: sing. That's right. Um, and I just hadn't thought about it that way before, but it makes sense. I mean, you know my family and my partner's family we both grew up singing all of us did and so we we grew up from you know a young age doing this thing as a family so of course like it made sense that we had some decent ability you know to sing and yeah so i think i thought that tone being tone deaf was more common that it actually is
0: yeah i don't think i think uh yeah tone tone deafness as a as a physiological phenomenon i think is quite rare mm. um but but in experience especially if you've been told, especially if you were told at a young age that you couldn't it. do it, especially if you just accepted that narrative, sort of like, I'm not an athlete, you know, I can't mm-hmm. sing. I mean, I was never told that I couldn't sing, you know, I could always carry a tune. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and I was good at my instrument lessons and stuff. So music mm-hmm. was was a thing that I was always kind of into and liked. Um, but singing harmony in a group was something I hadn't done before. Mm-hmm. And uh, oh, I just took, I, I, I loved it right away. And the, but th- that freedom that this particular kind of singing mm. you know community singing um where all voices are welcome, you know you can you can come in and be bad at it
2: mm-hmm.
0: and then you yeah you you sort of if you if you continue to do it you sort of reach whatever level you're going to reach, but it's not about the level that you reach it's about being in community mm. with people but but I think that um what makes that possibly you know uh relevant to what we're talking about generally today is that, uh, for me, when I got to spin class five years later, Mm. I already had a model of, it's okay to not be good at this yet.
2: Mm.
0: Like I had, you know, my music lesson, you know, when I was growing up, you know, piano lessons and that sort (laughs) of thing, you know, you had to, the idea was to like make the piece, be good enough at it, get it perfect, make it worth performing for other people who would listen. And appreciate yeah. and kind of evaluate, you know yeah. how you did, and and you just you ha- you had to be really good at it. And then you know I, I don't know school you were supposed to get you know you're, you're yeah. trying for an A, yep. you know all the, all the various ways in which we sort of set standards yes. and the and and we are explicitly taught this at least you know American education we're explicitly taught you know you're supposed to like what you're supposed to do in life <laughs> is set a goal set goals and strive to achieve them and the, you know the goal is sort of up here yeah. and you and you and you strive to achieve it but sacred harp was the first thing i did where you where explicitly that was not the model mm. it was we are singing together mm. in community and all voices are welcome you can come in and be bad at this um that was the implied part i mean nobody really says come in and be bad at it <laughs> but but it's but it's implied i mean you uh, you know nobody will Nobody will take you aside and say, "Hey, you know, you're just not cutting it. You should maybe find a different hobby." Nobody says that. Yeah. And nobody th- th- uh, somebody probably thinks it, but no but it's it's just yeah. not part of the culture of that community. And so when I got to exercising, which I had which thanks to the narrative of being mm. unathletic, I had so much wasn't exactly anxiety, but sort of reluctance mm. around that and and uh, and that book kind of like yeah. Kick started me. It's like gave me a little bit of a new way to think about it. But what kept me coming back to spin class is like it was a it was a class, quote unquote, but you know, they weren't grading me. There was mm. no standard I was supposed to reach. Uh the the phrase they use in the gyms is, you know, all fitness levels. Mm. And so I came in at my fitness level mm. and I just did it at my fitness level.
2: Yeah
0: and yes it it so happened that i improved my fitness level but that wasn't a requirement for being in the class no one was going to evaluate my fitness level yeah unless i asked they'd get the calipers out or whatever measure my <laughs> measure my gut um none of that and, and and i and i think i stuck with it and continue to stick with it and and i and i come back to it with beginner's mind from time to time if mm. i fall off for a while or if i have a heart attack and can't exercise for a few right. months you know i can come back to it with beginner's mind um maybe reading a few buddhist books probably helped with this um mm. but i can come back to it with beginner's mind because sacred heart taught me how to have beginner's mind and how to do things and accept mm. myself as a beginner and to accept that i'm going to be that that if that if something's worth doing it's worth doing badly yeah uh and i had i had not known that before mm. and i started to absorb it i guess starting from the age of 36 and <laughs> then i've been i've been sort of taking that lesson with me into various things mm-hmm. that I've tried to do since then, and that probably, hopefully, I will, you know, whatever. If there are, mm-hmm. if there are more new things to come, yeah. I, I hope to bring that same attitude, um, which is that it's okay to not be good at this. Yeah, and <laughs> um, although I would not have put it this way before today, I think you know. I mean, I think the reason those things all occur to me at the same t- time is that you know. I kind of feel that way about masculinity too. you know mm. it's okay to be like I spent a lot of time being like quote unquote bad at it <laughs> um, and I never really got good at it exactly, but it's not something that you get good you know mm. you just are at your fitness level, you know and I, I fit to I fit to whatever masculine standards there might be in the society around in the culture around me. I fit to them in some ways and not in other ways and that used to be problematic and i'm sure mm. i'm sure if i examined myself it would still be problematic mm. for me but but at least i have this way of articulating to myself now mm. that my uh my performance of masculinity is my own and and all voices are welcome
1: hmm yeah now i think that's really powerful and and beautiful viewing it that way just coming in at your fitness level I just think that's gonna stick with me um because I you know you know earlier was mentioning about like insecurity and defensiveness you know I think I've spent a lot of time feeling insecure about how I like not wanting to appear foolish or silly or stupid and that I need to be good at the thing immediately. And, and I, I do really struggle with this. It's gotten better, but like for me, you know, for you, it was sacred harp singing. For me, it was boxing. Oh. Um, uh, probably going to the gym before that, honestly, but like boxing was like a major thing. And I did it for embodiment purposes And I also did it as like, you know, you know what, you just can't be good at this thing at the beginning. And you might never be like, amazing at this, but like, you're certainly going to be bad at it at the beginning. And I had, you know, I've had wonderful trainers, one of whom said, yeah, we all look silly. Like, this is kind of silly positions that we get ourselves into for boxing. And... You know, I've had times where that's been easier and times when that's been really hard for me to deal with uh, sort of being panicking because I'm like, I, I don't want to do that thing wrong. I, um, I don't want to do it badly. And and I've had to learn more and more like come in at your fitness level. Uh, and with podcasting as well, this was the second thing that I did that I was like, I haven't done this before. I have to, I have to learn all this stuff. I have a little bit of experience like with editing and recording stuff. And I I do know how to talk to people, but I've never interviewed people, you know? So both of those things have been okay. We're going to be making mistakes here, and that's okay.
0: Are you good at boxing?
1: I think I'm fine. I think I'm fine. It's been a couple of years. Honestly, I don't think I actually care right now because I enjoy it. And I have fun. I'm certainly better at it than I was. I've have, I have improved. I I started out boxing right-handed, and earlier this year I started boxing left-handed, because I realized I was I enjoyed it. So um, now I've been sort of relearning boxing from a left-handed perspective, especially because you're usually going to be boxing with someone who's right-handed and so there's different things that you do um when you're in opposite stances than if you're in the same stance so yeah that's been a whole sort of new world and yeah i i don't think i'm a particularly good boxer but it is enjoyable
0: yeah and it's and it's part of your life now and your yeah. and your experience and your i don't want to say identity but something something like that it's part of
2: yeah you
1: know,
0: you, you doing boxing as part of your if I ask you to please introduce yourself, that might be on the list. right?
1: <laughs> you know, it hasn't been, but I think it's certainly certainly affected my life and how I interact with the world. It's also just been, you know, for me and my own masculinity of like, oh, good, there's some place for my aggression to be and to exist and recognizing I don't think aggression is a bad thing. I think I actually talked about that some in the the last interview that I did for this, of I think I used to think it was always a bad thing, and there are certainly ways that it can be bullying, just like you know, just utterly destroying things. Yes,
0: there's a long list of ways there's that a aggression long, can be bad. <laughs> a
1: long list of ways that it can be bad, but that it doesn't have to be.
0: Well, it's not going away. I mean, we owe it to ourselves to find a place for it.
1: Mm, yeah, it's part of our reality. Well, we're near the end of time. And I always want to make sure to give people the space to, yeah, just say any last thoughts. Yeah. Something you want to make sure that you don't forget to say.
0: <laughs> Whatever it is, I've probably forgotten to say it. Uh, I'll, think, <laughs> I'll think of it on the way home. Um, well, I've, I've, well, one thing I'll say is that mm-hmm. I've really appreciated the chance to talk about these mm-hmm. things. I mean, they've uh, you know, my wife and I've had conversations about this, about these topics before. And I think I've said, I'm not sure if I've said anything today that I haven't said Mm. in some ways recently. So I think, I think this topic has been on my mind. And certainly since you asked me to do the interview, Mm. I've sort of been just casually Mm. mulling it over, not, not carefully mulling it over because anything worth doing is worth doing badly. So I, I, (laughs) so I just kind of casually um, thought about it, but I think I, I'm, I am grateful for I'm grateful for the ways in which I've been able to find I've been grateful for ways in which my relationship with my body has changed mm. in my life. Um I am grateful to be older mm. uh, because, because I can look at differences in myself mm. and gain some wisdom from them. You know, I um I am curious about what's coming next. But I'm mostly – I am grateful to have had experiences, uh, specifically Sacred Harp and exercising, but probably some other experiences too, that have taught me to hold on to myself a little more loosely and Mm. let my relationship with my body become – be in a state of becoming instead Mm. instead of in a state of tension. Mm. And it took time for that, and so I'm glad that I have lived this long, and let that time pass,
2: mm.
0: and have been sort of paying attention <laughs> during mm-hmm. that time. Um, mm. So I I wish that for you as well, mm. um, as change continues to come to you, mm-hmm. and I wish you I wish you a good aging.
1: Mm. We should say that more often. We should say that at all. Like,
0: we should say that at least on
1: every birthday. Yeah. Yeah. I wish you a good aging. Yeah, because that is something that I've been thinking about and have brought up a few times in these interviews of, oh, like aging. What do we think about aging? How do we feel about having aging bodies? Would you prefer to just have your young body or to to have the body you have now? and. That that is not as um obvious an answer as it might appear to someone who's younger.
0: That's right. It's hard from a young um, well, I, I I remember being younger and I remember being younger and not thinking very much about the reality of being older. Mm. You know. So I think that um even you know, even though I'd gladly take back the body that I had at forty mm. at 43, at the very mm. young age of 43. Um, I'm guessing that's older than you are now. Mm-hmm. Uh, I would happily take that. That was, that. it felt like my physical peak. It did. And um, I, I guess I can say that one advantage of not being too thrilled with my body when I was mm. younger, just sort of like, oh, it's, you know, it's what it is, but it's, you know, unathletic and not very interesting, um, mm. that I don't miss it. Mm. I, I kind of still have it it's not that different from what I have now. Mm. And so I don't feel, I don't feel much of a sense of loss. I feel Mm. feel like I've gained more than I've lost by Mm. my, yeah, my body is, has had, has had its problems the last few years and it's slowing down and that sort of thing. And I'm, Mm. I'm stiffer and all the rest of it. And I'm, I'm only 56 y'all. I mean, I, this is, (laughs) you know, uh, I expect I'll have more complaints to come and and anybody listening who is older than i am is just laughing right now. It's <laughs> like, "Oh, i, you know, 56, what are you complaining about?" Um but i've been i've been fortunate that the gains in just the gains of age have been greater than the losses for me so far. Yeah. Um another form of privilege that i guess mm-hmm. i have.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, thank you so much for doing this. This has been Thank you. an utter pleasure. I I was realizing, you know, like I only know a little bit about Eric. And so this will be fun because I don't, I don't even know what's coming. I mean, usually, usually I I think I know what's coming and then I don't actually, but uh, especially with these sorts of conversations, Mm -hmm. you know, most things are new. So um, thank you.
0: I enjoyed it very much. Thank you.
1: If you hear an airplane, just let it be. Don't, pa- uh, uh, you don't, need don't to pause. don't pause. Just pre- you don't need pre- to pause. okay. Pretend it's not there. Okay. It's more confusing because it's a long sound, mm-hmm. uh, and so I have had to edit before. And, and if someone's like nerdily listening to that, it's in Sam's episode. If mm. anyone's nerdily listening to it, it is a plane that never completely goes up. It just goes.
2: Mm-hmm. <laughs> That would make me worry about uh, its fate, but yeah.